0: Now entering the Phantom
1: Squad Podcast. Enjoy the match. is going to be another episode of the Phantom Squad podcast. My guest this week is actor Dylan Snyder. How's it going? Hey there. It's going great. How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh definitely when you got your email back, I was like, "Awesome, it's not just an agent, it's the actual person."
0: <laughs> yes, no, that that is uh that is actually me. We um so my wife and I have a uh, a production company and so we we tend to funnel things through our production company, but uh, I, I have the access to the email. So,
1: <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Yeah, uh, my girlfriend, I didn't realize that you and Allison were married because I, I knew both of you from uh, your different shows. And she's like, I was like, wait, I thought they were friends because they were both the quirky kids on their show. She's like, no, they're married. And I was like, holy shit, that's so cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, we've, uh, we've been married for uh, coming up on a year and a half. Uh, fairly soon just uh, like a couple months over a year and uh, we've been dating since 2015 uh so yeah no we've known each other for forever i she was one of the first people i met here out in la um she uh was i think she was doing season two of sunny with a chance while we were shooting our pilot uh for kicking it and so when i came out there she stopped by said hello and uh, we be, we stayed friends, uh, and <laughs> I, so I I really liked her and I, I wanted to ask her out, and she had a boyfriend at the time, and so I was kind of like thwarted at this w- <laughs> one specific instance that I recall. It's like I went to a party and I was like, no, I'm gonna like I'm gonna ask Allison out. And uh, I was like, oh, I can't do that now years later, she's like, if you asked me out, I totally would have just dumped him and gone out with you. I was like, I, I'm not that guy. Like, I can't, I can't do that.
1: <laughs> oh, same yeah, with my, with my girlfriend, we were on this site and she sent me a message. I was like, oh uh, yeah, I'm surprised that you messaged me first. Cause uh, I'm not like that.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you made the first move. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when I told my nephew, cause he watched kicking it and I watched it with him. I didn't realize that we were all the same age. I was like, "Wait, we're all in, like our mid 20s <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, no, it... he told. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, he's seen it, and yeah, he was it... like, "Hey, uh, yeah." I was like, "Yeah, guess who I got?" And he was like, "Wait, you got Milton from Kicking It? Holy crap!" I was like, "I know that was your show when you were like younger." Because he's only fifteen, so he was right in that market when the show came out. Oh, absolutely! It's kind of
0: wild. It's uh, we're this year is our tenth year anniversary of the show coming out. I, oh I think it's gosh. like june or july like 11th or 16th it's one of those days uh but uh, yeah no later on this year it's going to be 10 years since our show first aired
1: holy crap does not seem that long but i guess i did graduate in 2015 so i guess it was in that same time that you guys ended production because i was like wait where's that show at
0: (laughs) yeah exactly we let's see we mm, i think our last episode came out in 2014 so it, it, which i mean it it hasn't been i guess too too long since that point it's just I, oh, I don't know it it's it's kind of bizarre to see all the time passing and just look back like i thought that that was like yesterday i don't it it feels wrong that it's so long ago <laughs> that uh that the show first aired but you know we were on the air for 4 years so that was a decent chunk of my uh teenage years uh my my growing stages were all done on the uh <laughs> on camera. So it, it, I have a nice little, uh, history, a track of my life imprinted, uh, in the ether somewhere, which is, it's kind of cool. I don't know. It, 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 it's interesting to look back. I, uh, I started streaming on Twitch fairly recently and it's bizarre to me how many people have actually seen the show or loved the show and are huge fans of the show. Um, when we were first doing this series, Instagram had not gotten popular yet. Twitter was a thing uh, for many years at the time, so was Facebook, but it, children weren't using those social media platforms. So it wasn't until many, many years later that I started seeing how many people actually loved the show and started seeing that direct result of you know us going on the screen and kids absorbing this information and enjoy it. It's, it's weird. Cause I, it was years after the show ended that all these people kind of started coming out of the woodwork and uh, talking to me about the series. It's, it's kind of wild. Awesome, Our, awesome. We have this kind of large global outreach as well. There's a, like a lot of fans of kicking it in Australia. A lot of fans of kicking it in Brazil, huge fan base in Brazil. Um, and yeah, no, it's it, it, uh, on my stream, a bunch of people come around being like, hey, uh, uh, you know, I'm in Bolivia right now and we loved the show. It's like, that's awesome. Hi. <laughs> like OK, <laughs> sweet. Yeah, uh, it, actually, one of the one of the one of the earlier times we heard that people were kind of uh, having an effect from watching our series was while we were filming the show. Uh we would get fan mail uh, sent to our studio uh, quite often. And they, the production team would always read the fan mail before they gave it to us, just in case there was something bad in there and they would hold it back. But we received this one letter that was uh, actually sent to our producers uh, instead of us. And it was basically saying, thank you so much for making the show. Uh, it was this woman who had two kids uh, they were around the ages of, like, 10 and 8, and apparently the 10-year-old, like, she was outside in the backyard with them, and she walked inside for a moment. The 10-year-old was playing around the pool, fell in, and started drowning, and the 8-year-old pulled the kid out and started doing CPR on him, and I guess resuscitated the kid, and uh, the mother was shocked and she was like hey how did it like where did you learn this like how did you learn this well we had an episode that kind of briefly mentioned how to do cpr just in passing and this kid was like i learned it from kicking it and so she's like kicking it saved my son's life we're like that's insane that's
1: that's crazy
0: wild yeah comparing that to like the fan or some of the Letters and the mail that uh, Allison got on So Random, or at least their entire series had gotten. Uh, I, I think we had a a, a very like positive uh, fan base. I know that So Random, it kind of being on the main channel, there was there was a couple of skits that kind of uh, I don't want to say offended people, but that were a little on the edgier side. But such is kind of sketch comedy in that style. And uh, and we got all the positive vibes on our show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could definitely tell some of the skits. It was a it was skits that were made for kids, but you could definitely tell it was written by adults.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even, even on our show. We, so we had a lot of writers um, who had been working for years. We had writers from Cheers, Third Rock from the Sun. Um, uh, oh, gosh. Uh, what, Eight, Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, I think was the name of the show. Uh, we had writers from that show, so it was a lot of uh, a lot of writers from adult sitcom television that were working on a children's show. So they always tried to find a nice balance from uh, children's comedy to adult comedy, and kind of making sure that both uh, both the kids and the parents would be able to enjoy the eh, the hidden jokes that we had in there.
1: Yes, for sure, and seeing some of the actors in there too. Like I think. Uh... What is her name? Uh, it's Brooke. I forget her last name. Um, she played Dilman. the security guard.
0: Yes, Brooke Dillman.
1: Knowing her, because I grew up, because I live in the South, I grew up watching the Blue Collar comedy series. And the, so seeing her, I was like, wait, I know her. She, I love her from her comedy. She's, she's in this show?
0: Yeah, no. And she, she's, she's great. Is she is fantastic. We had uh, quite a few amazing people. Um, one of our... Uh, like regular recurring guest stars was uh dan Dut, who is currently in cobra kai uh and he is hilarious uh, uh amazing he's he's done a, a bunch of other shows he was on a show and i'm trying to remember it was like named after a queen song uh with rebel wilson not too too long ago and uh and he he's amazing we had george went on the show we had denise richards on the show oh my god uh and and then Disney XD kind of being the more sporty version of Disney. They um, had because Disney owns e- uh, ESPN and they were trying to promote ESPN to all the kids uh, who were kind of growing up and graduating out of their Disney phases. And so we had a bunch of basketball players that came through. I think we had Kyrie Irving on our show. Um, we also had wwe wrestler kofi kingston on our show like it, it just seriously some like really really cool people who were yeah. like just hanging out with us on kicking it like it <laughs> was awesome
1: now with dan there's one show you might have not seen it it's uh filmed here in atlanta it's called your pretty face is going to hell for adult swim
0: i and, love your pretty face
1: and seeing his character on there going from falafel feel to the indian tech guy who gets his hands turned in the dicks that that scene made me die and he's like why do you have to make them on fire and it just <laughs> oh, i told my nephew i was like hey you know the guy from falafelville watch this clip ah, that's great yeah your
0: pretty faces is, is awesome i'm a huge last podcast on the left fan so uh naturally i kind of like moved over because of henry zabrowski and <laughs> saw dan oh there. yeah
1: i love that show yeah my buddy we're like it's so stupid it's funny it's so great Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, no, that's cool. So you
0: are from you're from the south or you live in Atlanta?
1: Uh, I'm like the middle of Georgia. I'm from Macon. You might have heard of it. They have like a a little Richard and a bunch of like Otis Redding and stuff came from Macon.
0: Sure. Uh, Yeah, I'm originally from Alabama, so I've spent I've spent a fair amount of time in Georgia. But oh, uh, cool.
1: Yeah, we have the big cherry blossom festival here. If you've ever been to that.
0: I have not, but I, I am I know of it. Uh, awesome that's
1: that's pretty cool Cool. yeah for sure yeah when uh one thing i want to ask you too because i watched i grew up in that same era We of watching the disney channel how was it working with uh jason earls did he have any like hannah montana stories um yeah i mean he he had a couple most of them
0: like jason is a fantastic guy uh he is very uh, oh, he's very smart. He he knows he knows his comedy very well, and he he kind of breaks it down into formulas almost. So he can he can turn any situation into a hilarious situation, or turn any like okay joke into an amazing joke just by kind of breaking down the elements of what makes it funny uh, and kind of h- attacking them really hard. Um, Jason is. Uh, He's one of, he's, he's one of these guys who gets really funny when he's angry as well. So what would happen is like, okay, let's say we were running long or something was kind of bothering him. He would start throwing out like one-liners that he was improv and so much of the show, like we would purposefully try and just get him a little pissed off just because like, <laughs> oh my God, he just soars when he is upset. It is fantastic. Uh, no, Jason, Jason's a, an amazing guy. I love him to death. He, um, I think the the biggest thing that I had heard from Hannah uh, was he had done this episode where he was becoming a professional juggler on Hannah Montana. I don't know if you <laughs> remember that episode, but he has this one line that he uh, would reference quite a bit. Just uh, the line was, I'm just a guy with three balls and a dream and the, uh, the reason he would kind of reference this story a lot is uh, there's a lot of rules of what you can say and what you cannot say on Disney. We have an entire department called Standards and Practices that um, go to veto any jokes that are too adult. Or they also have a master list of things that in certain countries have been uh, not as favorable or might have some uh, bad undertones. So, uh, th- you know, they they go through and they make sure all of our jokes are PG. And they were really, really trying to get rid of the "I'm just a guy with three balls and a dream" line, uh, but he was holding juggling balls and he references them while he's saying this line. So S and P was okay with the line anyway, and they ended up making it. To, they ended up recording it and making it to air. Uh, Simply because he was referencing it so using that knowledge we basically were able to work in a lot of kind of Adult or dirtier jokes on our show as long as we were referencing something in person Uh, it it just kind of like a a Little bit of like a a lesson that he taught us just about how to how
1: to get some adult jokes in there Which you had had a in your window around the system (laughs) Exactly exactly for sure. Also, definitely for this show. No worries. We're swear words. OK, everything's OK.
0: <laughs>
1: it's cool. everything under the sun except for politics.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I love it.
1: Sweet. Awesome. Awesome. Now, you said you have your uh, Oh, for I forget. I have to ask because my girlfriend's like, make sure you ask. What was your favorite episode of kicking it to film?
0: Um, it's called Return of Spyfall. Uh, I want to say that it was the last or the second to last episode of Kicking It, uh, of season three. Sorry, of season three of the show. Um, it was uh, my character becomes a secret agent uh, in that episode, and it's probably my f- one of my favorite episodes that we did, simply because it, like my character got so much growth throughout that entire experience. Like they they completely. Um, evolved my character throughout that that one uh, one episode and it just kind of changed everything where I was where my character was kind of headed and the direction really made him like grow up because I, I felt like I had, my character had pretty much stayed the same age for the first three seasons and then this episode came out and it really allowed me to kind of push forward past that uh, now initially what we were going to do is uh, like make a spin-off series uh, based around Uh, jack and milton becoming the secret agents moving to dc and taking on missions all over the world uh and so what ended up what ended up happening is kicking it was very popular and they wanted kicking it to come back for a fourth season uh instead so they they had to choose like fourth season or spinoff series and they ended up choosing the fourth season so we uh came back to the standard show but still the you know the storyline was intact it was one of our episodes from season three so they continued along with it which is uh it was great <laughs> yeah no i i we i my fights were more sophisticated my clothing style had changed um even even my comedy style a little bit they started kind of giving me different jokes to work with stuff that was just a little more adult a little more grown up which i I enjoyed. I I liked that transition.
1: Yes. And I know for a lot of the other cast and me, myself understanding, how is it for you being, being a guy like having like a natural higher voice and everyone around you is like your voices are getting so deep because we're all getting older on set. (laughs) Um, yeah. You you know,
0: I I really had just learned to embrace it. Uh, Even now, I just embrace that my voice is higher. And especially when I start putting more energy into my voice, my voice starts cracking all the time. And it's okay. It's like I've just accepted it. That's just the way that things happen. It's like, uh, yeah, people all the time will be like, oh, your voice cracked. It's like, yeah, it did. It's not it's. It, it's just what happens. Like, I, I can't do anything about it, so I just live with it. Um, yeah, no, I, it is something that I do at some point want to, like, do voiceover work. I used to do a fair amount of voiceover work when I was a kid, uh, and it, it's been a while since I've kind of jumped back into that, but I, my voice is just naturally so high, especially when energized, that it it, make, it it does make it a little bit tough. So, I, you know, I have to kind of end up... Um, I end up in very specific roles, I think, because of that.
1: Yes, and like, like I told my girlfriend, I was like, "I'm so happy, finally, someone who can relate to me." Because <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "Oh my gosh, your voice is..." I'm like, "Some, especially, I work at a grocery store, and I have the mask on." They're like, "Yes, madam I'm like, "Do you not see the full grown beard underneath this mask?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. No. I, yeah. Again, it's just something that I that I've kind of learned to embrace, I, I, especially. Working on Disney, working with the show, a lot of our comedy, we had a lot of physical comedy and we have a lot of uh, self-deprecating comedy. And I think that uh, it's important to kind of understand where you sit in the world and what your image is and understand fully who you are before you go into those uh, situations, which it's difficult for children, especially you know teenagers. Uh, to go into that kind of environment where we're filming something and, you know, have a self-deprecating comedy uh, situation where we're talking about, oh, my goodness, I'm so skinny. I need to eat a sandwich kind of deal. That can be a little, um, I think, scarring for some children. But, uh, yeah, really early on, I I was just like, this is the way things are. I understand. I'm going to go for it. Which is why they put me in underwear a lot. Um, They put me in, like, skin-tight bodysuits a lot, Uh, yeah, I I was, I I was, whatever they needed uh, physically, I was very comfortable with myself and they knew that. So they threw me in it.
1: Oh, yeah. I kind of figured that they're like, okay, we have this Pee Wee Herman type kid. Let's kind of use that to our advantage.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. They, they they would do things where they, um, I I remember it was, I want to say it was season three. Uh, I had gotten called into the writer's room. And uh, I, I go up there and the uh, our showrunner asked me he was like hey Dylan um you know are you are you comfortable taking your shirt off I was like S- three years in you're going to ask me this like three years into all this time that I have been shirtless and pretty much naked on the show you're asking me this in season three he was like I I thought so I thought so I'm just just checking and uh, they then had me do kind of like a car wash striptease tease. <laughs> that was the joke they were going for
1: <laughs> I'm surprised a lot like something with that like I've, I've talked to Mark McRae who runs uh, he's the promo guy and a lot of stuff for Adult Swim and used to be for Cartoon Network and he said there's an organization of like these parents that would like this is too suggestive or this is the I'm surprised that didn't get caught by them be like um no <laughs> but I That's guess right. it's with all things it's like oh they're boys it's okay
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's there's a huge part of that where uh, again Disney the the Disney main channel got harped on quite a lot. Uh, spe- what is it? Million million moms across America. Or, I, I I think I know which um, organization you're talking about. There's there's a couple of them out there though. Yeah, uh, where yeah they'll kind of like gather together and uh, like sign petitions to. Get certain concepts taken down or get certain episodes uh, taken down from their listings. Uh, But yeah, no, it's like on Disney XD, it's like our channel didn't really get any of that. I I guess people, the parents kind of understood, like, if my kid is old enough to watch this, like, there's going to be themes. Like, it's still a children's channel, but... if if it's too much, they can just go back to the main channel. I think they had kind of that mindset because we got away with a lot.
1: Yeah, it's probably one of those like, okay, this channel, I can tell it's not for the five and six-year-olds watching Mickey Mouse. This is more for the 13 and 14-year-olds who hear dick and fart jokes at school all the time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly which that was how it was with my nephew. He knew uh, the stuff that I watched. And I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool. And he's like, let's watch this together. And we kind of bonded over that series. And then when my other nephew came about, who's 10 now, we kind of, hey, it was later on when he came up He was born in, I think, 2010. And so when he got old enough, we're like, hey, let's show you this show called Kicking It. And so both of them are, Huge fans, and they now watch uh, the fifteen year old. His big show now is Cobra Kai, and he's like, "Yeah, I kind of like this because I like kicking, it and I thought it'd be in that same realm." So, how many fans kind of said that they're now into like Cobra Kai and that stuff because of kicking it?
0: It's probably the number one asked question on my stream: is Do I watch Cobra Kai? Because everybody has been transitioning <laughs> over to Cobra Kai, uh, and and yeah, a, a lot of people, a lot of people are coming in being like have you, have you watched the show? And I have not watched Cobra Kai yet, but they, they keep on asking. So they're like, Hey, it's great. A lot of people in my chat as well. will have, um, they'll have conversations about, about Cobra Kai where it's, I I don't know any part of it. I'm like, I don't know why you're (laughs) in the chat, like, you know, conversing about it, but okay, cool. Like, I mean, you do you, you do your thing. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yes. Yeah. No. A lot. A lot of the kids have transitioned into the show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. So, how many times or on live streams has someone yelled or asked you to say "Yell Christmas Nuts"?
0: (laughs) All the time. That uh, again. That uh, that happens all the time. I actually made it um, a channel point reward now. So instead of like every single new person coming in to be like, "Hey, uh, say say Holy Christmas Nuts," it's like you have you have to like. You have to earn it by spending time in the stream. (laughs) It's like if you spend a couple hours in there, you can redeem a holy Christmas nuts. We'll make a big spectacle out of it. I have a button that (laughs) zooms in really close on my face, and so it just – we go for it. Oh, my god! So, uh, yeah, my wife and I are also on – we're on Cameo. So we we record little shout-out videos for people. Um, You know, it's like they – People who want to give a gift of a, of a shout-out video will uh, send a little message in saying, hey, this is the person it's for. It's their birthday. Can you say happy birthday to them? And uh, we do our cameos as our characters. So currently, uh, Allison's on AP Bio. She plays Heather, kind of like this mousy, dorky girl with glasses, uh, has a very specific way of talking and very sexual uh, so, uh, <laughs> she, she does them as her character. And again, very like kind of quiet. She has this like a, uh, Hey boy kind of sound. And she's like, Oh yeah, she's all like talking like this. Mine are as Milton. And so mine are just off the walls, bonkers, like loud. And we can't film our cameos at the same time because mine overtake hers in the other room. <laughs> so <laughs> we have to kind of space them out. My, th- my catchphrase is quite energetic.
1: Yes, I was I think I was actually looking into Cameo before because I there's a group uh, on Facebook that I that are a bunch of podcasters and I was like, hey, looking in to find how to get guests and I was looking looked at cameo and I was like, ah, I don't know. I was like, I don't even know if just the 499 for the chat, I'm like, I don't know if they can do that because of agents. And then somebody goes, Well, IMDB Pro is what professionals and I was like, Oh, okay. And that's a subscription thing. So I was like, that's a better deal for me doing this subscription. So and that's how I got you. I went through the Looked you up and found your agent and they contacted you. Oh, very cool. Okay.
0: Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, so, oh, uh, fascinating. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, IMDb Pro is, is great. Uh, so uh, I've been kind of moving behind the camera over the past couple of years, and we are currently in the process of casting a feature film. And uh, yeah, INDB Pro is the, it's our best friend. You could just reach like, we can look through and see exactly who we need to talk to and make those conversations happen. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's, a, it's a great tool. I have been reached out to on Cameo. Um, my my chat is, uh, my instant message on Cameo is 99 cents. It I did have oh, it cool. free for a little while, but it was... Uh, kind of insane like I was getting just spam messages from so many people I was like okay we're gonna we're gonna have to limit this like I gotta pay right I here. gotta <laughs> put a price on it uh yeah so it, they, i get i do get a lot of i've been asked uh for a couple different things of like uh you know can you uh show up at uh this virtual meeting and podcasts and stuff like that and so it, it does happen through uh through cameo here and there and it's i don't know it's kind of it's kind of fun i i I personally like uh you know kind of going around and seeing what's out there and doing interviews on different podcasts it's it's nice to kind of see i guess where everybody's from and uh, talk about the show and talk about our experiences in the industry it's nice
1: here at the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, we make every show from the finest ingredients. Juicy interviews, fiery film nights, delicious Desert Island DVDs. And pack it all into a slice of life in every episode. Order up our specials now from your delivery guys. Sean from Canada. Dan from Kent in the UK. And Paul from near Liverpool in the UK. Here on the ESO
0: Network. The Cosmic Pizza Podcast. Serving you a slice of life. Mm-mm
1: the behind the scenes so how did you did you just when you were on kicking it did you like the production itself of the camera guys and stuff did you just interest you or was it something that after your acting you kind of got into later on
0: um it was definitely uh like during kicking it i used that opportunity to start shadowing uh the, different different departments uh there's a million different people that go into making every single production and I wanted to kind of get as much of um of an understanding of what everybody does as possible. Uh, so I would like spend a week shadowing the special effects guy, kind of see what he does, uh, hang around with him while he's building things, uh, you know, learned how to solder there. Like certain things like that to where it's like, okay, now I understand a little bit about what goes into special effects. Now I want to shadow the director, see what the director does throughout the week um so i did that uh, pretty much all throughout the entirety of the series um and it it definitely interested me but i didn't see i didn't like foresee myself going behind the camera until after the series ended and i had all this information with me Um and i it, it was a mix of two things allison uh has a, a friend that she had connected uh, kind of reconnected with after many years who was also into filmmaking. He had been going to film school and he wanted to shoot uh, a short film as kind of practice while he was, you know, in, uh, in between his uh, semesters at film school and just to also kind of start a little bit of a relationship, like a, you know, a business relationship going on. And, uh, so we had started kind of talking about that. And meanwhile, I was also acting in a short film and I remember Watching the Steadicam operator and just being so fascinated. I'd never seen anybody do Steadicam before, and this guy was awesome. He uh, like he was just rocking these shots, like first try, just complicated camera movements, chasing me down a hallway, running up and downstairs. And I was thinking, like, I want to do that. Like that that sound that looks so cool. I, I want to be a part of that that side of things. Uh, so we. And so it was a mix of those two things. We started doing our own short films and I was uh, first AD on them. So first assistant director pretty much uh, was in charge of time management, making sure that we were getting our shots done in an efficient way. And it, I mean, all of them are learning processes. Every single short film that we have done has been just a learning process from what it takes to be in specific positions to uh, the, encountering certain issues that we, you pretty much just have to learn on the fly. Uh, so we've, we had gone through the ringer in a couple of our, uh, a couple of our short films and we've come out on the other side, learning a whole lot from that experience. Uh, but yeah, so I, I had started out in our shorts as a, as a first assistant director and, um, I, we have a skeleton crew. We had three people who were doing everything. So I was, I was doing a lot, but kind of, you know, working with lighting, setting up audio, making sure that, uh, making sure that like the camera mounts were all steady and, uh, it, it, trying to pay attention to the the order of our shots as well as communicating with the locations to make sure we had enough time uh, left to get everything else that we needed. Uh, and, and it was definitely, like, uh, eye-opening. It was, it, it was a new world that even though I had kind of glimpsed into it by hanging out with the first AD on kicking it, it's, I hadn't firsthand experienced it. I hadn't, like, gone through it. So, it, you know, it, it opened up a, a whole new world, a whole new door to walk through. And uh, for our next short film, I also first AD'd. We actually shot our next short uh, pretty soon after our first one. And then our third one, I moved over to, oh gosh, what did I do for our third film? Shoot, I was actually uh, I was still I was still first AD for our, our third film, and I I'd kind of moved over in again doing multiple jobs at once. I was still on lighting, and I was doing a special effects for that one because we had a um, a crazy bloody gag that we were doing, and we needed to make sure that was working out. We had mirrors that we were shattering, and it's actually really difficult to shatter a mirror when you need it to shatter. So it's like kind <laughs> of you know, problem solving. Uh, all, all of that. Uh, and after that film, I, I really, I was, I was just itching to get further into it. And I wanted to, I really, really wanted to do cinematography. Um, I had personally been doing photography for a while, just as a hobbyist, just, I have a camera and I would go and take pictures everywhere. And I use my camera to film my own stuff, but it, it, you know, it's never anything necessarily cinematic. Uh, and so I really wanted to start transitioning into, into having like cinematic works that I was putting together. Um so yeah I started I started uh being a director of photography on our next uh on our next film that we did and it was just we had upgraded every we upscaled everything. We actually had a cinema camera that we were working with. Uh this was probably our most difficult short film by the way because we filmed it in the desert uh which is fine if you have a budget and everybody can like stay there at least close by but it was a 3 hour drive to get to our location every single day Ooh. and it was in the middle of summer so it was 115 degrees outside and it was it it was pretty rough we we had pretty much every single issue that you could imagine like um Uh, As soon as we got there, we had three vehicles that we were using. We had one vehicle that was our picture car that we were uh, driving in. That's what we were filming and what our actors were going to be acting from. They were just going to be sitting in there. We didn't want them driving while they were acting, though, so we had another car that was towing a trailer that the picture car was on. And then we had a third van that was being used as a base camp so that we could keep snacks, food, uh, snacks, uh, waters, uh, Gatorades, anything that they would need, makeup could set up there and do what they needed to do. And, uh, yeah, no, it was just, it was so hot that our camera kept turning off and we would lose footage here and there. Uh, an entire card got corrupted. As soon as we, uh, had gotten there, our towing truck had a flat tire. Um, uh, our towing truck on our, th- on our last day got stuck in a ditch and we had to like improvise our, one of our camera mounts wasn't working. Uh, Like the the truck that we were filming was just so old that the hood was too flimsy. And uh, (laughs) so the camera mount wouldn't stick to it. So I I had built a camera mount uh, to stick over the window and we shot pretty much the entire thing uh, uh, with through the window shots. But the road was so bumpy. So I had to hang off the side of the truck holding on to the camera to make sure it wasn't shaking too much. It was a very, very crazy shoot. Uh, and it actually turned out wonderfully. It was kind of amazing that it even turned out because we had so many issues along the way. We were like, this isn't getting done. Oh, well. Uh, so uh, th- that that experience, it, again, taught us a lot and really, really just kind of reaffirmed that I really want to be behind the camera in some way. Um, so recently I've started directing some of our shorts as well. Uh, and that's kind of pushing us into our feature film.
1: Oh, so so now in your career, is it going to be like a Ron Howard situation where you had a a child acting in your film, and then you kind of got into the behind the scenes, and now you're strictly behind the scenes, or going to be in, only in the works that you make, or do you still have some aspirations for being behind uh, in front of the camera? Um, so I definitely
0: want to maintain being an actor. I don't want to. I don't want to lose that. I've had. Uh, I've had, uh, some wonderful jobs that I've done. I've had some success in my career and I don't want to necessarily throw that away. Um, it, it, it's, it can be a little tricky to get out and get back into the industry. So I, I definitely don't want to like disregard anything acting related. Uh, but I do want to make sure that I am spending time and focusing on being behind the camera just because it is an entirely different, um, Way of telling stories. You have more control over it. And I I really do want to be able to control the narrative. It is, it can be frustrating being an actor, being on set, and kind of watching some of the, um, watching some of the crew and just uh, understanding how you would perform a certain shot and seeing other crew members kind of struggle through that, struggle through trying to set up their own shot and, you know, as an actor, you you, you can't say anything. Uh, you you don't want to. It's kind of like bad etiquette, I guess, to like step in and be like, "Hey, you should shoot it this way." So it's like yeah. I would I would never like jump in and say anything about it. But I it, it's something that you're just thinking about. And so being behind the camera, it's you have control. You can you can set it up the way you want it. Um, and I think there's something really truly wonderful about that.
1: Yeah, no, I think Ron Howard himself has even said that, like, him being a, ch- a actor himself, when he does this, he's like, some directors that I've seen in years, He he's like, they're like, go to the actor, I'm like, can you just do the thing? Just do it. And he's like, being an actor myself, I can go to the actor and be go, okay, this is what I'm trying to get from the scene. And being an actor himself, he can portray what he needs from them. They're like, okay, I got it. Because he's been in that position unlike just a director who's only a director, he has a better understanding.
0: Sure. One thing that a lot of directors do, which I don't necessarily mind it, but I I know that a lot of actors who hate it, and I understand that it is not necessarily the best form as a director, is giving line readings. Um, it, A lot of directors will just kind of go up and, you know, whatever your line is, they'll be like, say it exactly this way, and they'll read you the line the way they want it to be said. And that takes out the entire actor's... uh, Pretty much the entirety of the actor's job. The actor's job is to, uh, you know, act in your scene, but bring the character to life. And if you kind of, I guess, direct them so specifically, it doesn't bring it to life. It just gets a read that you want. Um, But the character... And usually ends up falling flat, and so a lot of a, a lot of people, actors, hate that so much. So I understand that. Whenever I direct something, I try and um, I try and always approach every single note. If I can find some way to explain to them the intention that I want, great. If I can't, I'll kind of give them a separate scenario to think about while they're doing it. Uh, And the separate sometimes the the scenarios that I'll give is just to kind of give like alternate uh, alternate flavors or maybe to like break the actor out from whatever they're doing. A lot of people kind of you know will um, they'll kind of get one specific read stuck in their head, and uh, I want to kind of like break break that out of them because like hey, there's a bunch of different ways that we can take specific scenes. We tend to do psychological thrillers uh, for our films, so with that. Every character intention is a little bit mysterious and shrouded, and I like being able to kind of cut through that and, uh, and just have a lot of variety whenever, we, whenever we're editing. So that way we can say, ah, okay, I want their intention to be happy and their intention to be, like, sinister, and I have those options. Um, so that's, that's something that I specifically try and go for, is just, like, give them freedom, to do what they want on a take and then modify it from there to kind of get what i originally had in mind but never tell them exactly what i'm trying to get just let them play with it because it, the, an actor can take concepts and sometimes they'll give you just gold that you would have never thought of
1: yes uh now for you as an actor yourself um are you like i know there's some actors that go extreme like i'm the character on set 24 7 or just, I'm only this character when I'm in front of the camera. Are you more of a method actor? Or just, like, only when I'm on the screen, I'm that character?
0: Pretty much only when I'm on the screen, I'm the character. Um, method acting, like, I understand why some people do it. More so, it's like, if I have a dramatic scene, I'm not going to be joking and playing around the entire day. Like, if it, let's say I have a, a scene where I'm crying. I'm going to try and... Put myself in a somber mood uh, for the day, but I wouldn't necessarily go as far as calling that method acting. I think that's just making sure that I making sure that I'm in the right headspace for performing a specific scene. But with a kick in it, especially like sitcoms, comedy, um, it, it, it's it's not difficult for me to like hop into my character necessarily. So I, I don't. Uh, I, I I've known a couple actors who were like, don't talk to me. I am this person and I need to focus. And I'm, I'm very much not like that. I'm very open and kind of very chill about it.
1: <laughs> now, have you had the issue with that being on a comedy show, like kicking it, have you had the issues of them passing you on certain things because they're like, Oh, they're just a comedy actor. Or have you had that struggle at all? Yes.
0: Um, it's, I have. I I remember a a couple of auditions while I was on the show and immediately after I was uh, immediately after the show was done. I remember a couple of times where people uh, were kind of looking at my resume inside of an audition. They would go, oh, Disney. And it's like, wait, why? Why are you? Why are you saying? Yeah, it was it was Disney. I mean, like, hey, notoriety. And just because I was on a Disney show doesn't necessarily mean that I am just a Disney actor. I think that Um, the, the brand of Disney kind of taints a lot of, uh, a lot of different actors, unfortunately. And, uh, it's really not the case. Like I I have, so I I know a a fair amount of the kids who were on Disney at the time, uh, that, that I was on, uh, that I was on kicking it. And so many of them are just amazing, amazing actors. And uh, I would like, I would love to work with them again and kind of like see exactly where their career is going and. The kind of strides that they're taking and pretty much like all of them are, you know, really, really good, like serious and dramatic actors. But so many jobs you would never be able to uh, like they they don't know. They just see Disney and they go, ah, well, he's not going to be what we're looking for. And I I do find that's that's uh, unfortunate. I something that I did was I actually moved kicking it down on my resume so that uh it wasn't the first thing, even though that is the most notable project on my resume, um, at least that, I, you know, that I was I was a series regular on the show. So like uh, comparatively to some of the other things, that's huge. But I moved it down on my resume so that way it wasn't the first thing that they saw. So now on my resume, it's like I have Better Call Saul and Modern Family up there before kicking it, even though I had much smaller parts in those series, just so that they can see like, oh, OK, all right, so he, he can act. That's cool oh and he was on a disney show <laughs> it's an afterthought it's like oh cool all right it, it kind of helps i guess soften the tone a little bit right when i'm walking into an audition and that's the first thing they see
1: and also for them too it's probably it gives them a okay he's an adult actor he's just not some kid actor who just grew up
0: right a lot yeah, of the times
1: they they i've heard they look at it like that as well and uh one thing i, I want to ask as well um with with the podcast and stuff. So is this like your have you done a lot of podcasts before or
0: um I would say I've I've done I can count them on one hand. I've probably done three or four. Um I I I've definitely done a a, a couple just to kind of uh you know get get out there a little bit just here and there I have a couple friends who run some podcasts.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I try to get like I know a lot, a lot of people get these try to get huge names and stuff. I try to get the people that don't give as much love as they need. Like I've had H. John Benjamin, if, if you recognize his name, uh, he was the voice of Bob and Bob's burgers. Uh, yes, yes. Archer. Yes, yes. yes. And he was my first recognizable name and he was so chill. And I'm like, thank you for coming on. He's like, yeah, he's like, I don't really do them. So this is a specialty. He's like, now everybody's going to uh, do want to do him podcast. So, If I don't need any more, it's your fault. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) So, yeah, like I said, I like to get people like that don't get as much love as they should. And they're from because everybody's like, oh, I'm going to listen to this Joe Rogan or so. I know he doesn't listen. Uh, You know, oh, they got this name, this name. I'm like, well, what about these people that don't get talked about or don't get talked to? Like I had Mindy Cohen and she was amazing just talking about her time on Facts of Life and Scooby-Doo was just awesome being a Scooby-Doo fan. Sure, absolutely. And that's one thing I want to ask you about your filming stuff, because I know you're more than just the star from kicking it. I was like, let me ask about the other parts of your life. Like you being married to another, how is that being? Because I know some celebrities it's it's hard for them. Like they usually date someone or marry someone who is not a actor themselves. How is that being or another actor uh, that kind of how
0: that works? Honestly, most of the people that I know who are actors tend to date other actors tend to date and marry other actors. And it is, it is mainly because, um, they are the most understanding people of the schedule. Uh, so for, for me, it's been, it's been wonderful. It, it makes sense because, uh, it's like, if we have auditions that pop up, it is understandable and we will kind of make our schedule around auditions that pop up. Or if we have like a really weird work schedule, it's not something that you have to explain. Uh, it's just understood. it it's known and, and I think that's a really good dynamic. Uh, it, it, I mean, Allison is absolutely fantastic. She's wonderful, and she's very, very smart. and uh, i I think that uh, that I, I don't know. I, I think a, a lot of a lot of our experiences being shared. Uh, just it makes sense for us, and we we do everything together. So we act in a web series together. Uh, we write and direct the web series together. Uh, we write and direct all of our own projects together. It's everything that we do. We we do it as a team, and I think that works really really well for us. Um, awesome. And I do I know that that you know that's not the case for everybody. Some people don't have. Um, I I guess the kind of mindset to be able to work with their significant other all the time. But uh, for me, it, it, it's great. It's why, we also have uh, different uh, methods for attacking projects and problems. Uh, So it's like, uh, you know, whenever we're filming something, I I look at everything from a very technical standpoint and she kind of looks at, I would say like bigger picture and story uh, elements. And so we can kind of, work together to find the best route rather than just having differing opinions uh which is uh, it's a, a godsend honestly
1: <laughs> oh that's great especially like if you're like hey i gotta do a switch stream at five o'clock four days a week they're like okay yeah i understand
0: <laughs> oh yeah so no and, and it's like
1: we gotta do this
0: <laughs> yeah no it's it's something that like yeah we've been able to kind of like work together to create our schedule so allison streams as well she uh, she streams art two days a week before I do. And uh, and that's the that makes it like uh, very nice because it's like we can help each other with our streams, um, you know, making sure that those are up and running and we can also tailor our schedule accordingly so that. OK, uh, the, for instance, we are busy the next Thursday, so we n- know to kind of like, all right, we have to like move our streams and we have everything kind of set up around our schedule she is a she's our schedule keeper I don't I I I can't keep a schedule for anything I don't know what day it is um most of the time so uh, Allison kind of keeps me on track and she has the mind for coordinating and I just say all right cool I'm here we're good
1: awesome awesome yeah It it's one thing especially like with podcasting it's it's a lot of things that i learned like i'm not a schedule person but i've learned i'm like okay i got this day i gotta make sure it's up here so i can record with this person especially like with ours us times i'm like okay they said two o'clock pacific i'm like that's five that's five o'clock here making sure i'm like okay make sure my schedule is clear and they're like okay good
0: <laughs> perfect yes yeah no it's um Yeah, no, I I think that, uh, that Allison being the, the schedule keeper is really, it's, it's just very helpful. It's very useful, especially because 90% of the things we do together. So it's like, you know, regardless of anything else that, uh, anything else that I have going on, it's going to be so minuscule on the schedule that I, I, all I have to do is just say, honey, uh, on this day, I have this, she goes, got it done. And it's like she has everything else, so she can also tell me you can't do it that day. I'm like, cool, good to know. I will reschedule then. Uh, and it makes <laughs> things a lot easier.
1: Awesome. Now, for somebody, like, creating their studio and stuff, because I know that you said you started a company. Is the Did you create a separate space for your studio, or is it actually in your house? Or?
0: Um. So, yeah,
1: no, it, I mean –
0: more so, it, it's the production company rather than a studio. So we don't we don't have a, a studio. We just have our own company. Um, so there's no separate space for the company right now. Uh, we uh, have co-founded the company with uh, a friend of ours from Maryland. So we actually are kind of incidentally bicoastal then, which is great. <laughs> um, and so yeah, no, it's like we again we don't have necessarily a specific space for our company. Yet, and that might be something in the future, like I know that Allison and I have talked about like, yeah, one day uh, leaving L.A. and going to the middle of the desert somewhere and setting up a production company, setting up a studio and making it so that, you know, in the middle of like Wyoming, somebody can go and film something at our studio Um, that, you know, that might be what the future has to hold. But right now it's everything we do. We either do on location or we rent out spaces that we're going to be filming at. Uh, so it's, it's not a big deal for us to have our, our own company space. Uh, and it's, I mean, we're so active with the company that it makes sense that we just, you know, I get on my computer I respond to emails that I need to respond to and get everything done that way. Just have all the film gear packed up. So
1: (laughs) now one thing I want to ask you too, when you got the, I guess your first Disney check, what would, did you splurge on anything or was it kind of like, did your parents kind of take the money back from the series or how was that for you? Cause being a musician myself, I know it's like, Ooh, I can buy these expensive guitars that I want. Um,
0: yeah, no, I, I definitely like, uh, okay. So being a child actor, if you're under 18, you uh, pretty much have to have this one specific bank account uh, separate from everything called a Coogan account. Uh, and you have a, a uh, percentage of your funds—I I don't remember if it was like 50% of your check or whatnot—but a percentage of your check goes into that account. And you can't touch it until you're 18, and that is a little bit of uh, security so that you will have—if you were a child actor—you will have something when you become an adult um, to protect from your parents taking it. Uh, I mean, my parents were really chill about it, um, so the, like anything that we got, it's not like I necessarily splurged on things, but it it was used for living costs because los angeles is very expensive so you know i i definitely had a bit of a mind for trying to you know put it in the right places for us to just maintain living out here and (laughs) doing what we needed to do groceries and car payments and all that
1: now i would ask because my girlfriend's big into the twitch thing and she's just now getting in i'm like I like playing the game. Like I'm more like she's into like Borderlands and all that kind of stuff. I'm more the classical. Let me give me Mortal Kombat, like injustice fighter okay. games. And she's just getting me into Borderlands. She's like, I'm gonna sit you down and we're gonna play this, and you're gonna like it. <laughs> so with those Twitch stuff that she showed me, like, how do you do? I always wondered, like, how are you? I know you got the one that's on you. How do you do the split screen? Is that after a, after editing to do like you're playing the game on one screen to have your face on the other or?
0: Uh, so there's uh, there's a lot of softwares out there that uh, that you can kind of put together your different scenes. Um, so personally, I use OBS Studio, uh, Open Broadcaster Software, I think is their uh, acronym. But uh, so OBS Studio is wonderful. A lot of people will use Streamlabs OBS as well. Same company, a little more user friendly, I would say, because they have like built in themes that you can you can use built in scenes. Uh, but it, there's uh, a desktop uh, desktop desktop capture uh, s- source that you can use and it'll just grab whatever is on your screen. Uh, and you can kind of pick whether or not you want to capture specific windows or capture the entirety of the screen. So I have a, I have a bunch of different buttons uh, that I can press to change exactly what I'm looking at um and and the the software makes it really there's a a bunch of softwares out there there's also uh one called mixer uh no not mixer um xsplit uh is another one i think that one they i think that one became like a subscription-based one though obs is completely free
1: sweet sweet yeah because she was looking at I'm like i know i had the podcast and you've helped me with that and i was like i'll help you do your little twitch thing to help you figure that out i was like since i am the gearhead here i'll figure it out like sure, for my yeah, soundproof I... that i'm working on i found uh, a cheap way to do it because the panel things they sell are very expensive oh yeah and i found if you get the try little things you do like in science class where you have the three panel little boards they have a foam thick when they sell now and it's uh i took those and the craft store sells these bright chairs they're pads so I took those and I glued the pads inside of the panels, So it's kind of around the microphone to soundproof. And oh, I think it all together was like 20 bucks.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, seriously, I, I, I don't have any of that here. The only thing I really have going for me in this room is that the floor is carpeted. So that's that's what I'm working with. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Great. Now, I always ask every guest, because I see a little bit of stuff in the background and on your mic, what are your fandoms or your top Three fandoms or two honorable mentions? Because I can tell that you're a big, you're possibly a geek as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, you know, like I, I am, but I kind of uh, fit into, I guess, a more of a variety category. I have like certain things that I will specifically latch onto. I guess uh, the main things that I have uh, really latched onto over the years are Bioshock. Uh, the video game is incredible. Uh, Fallout. I love the world of Fallout. It's, you know, an amazing, uh, amazing lore that they have going on. Um, I like shows like Breaking Bad, which, you know, has a very extensive, extensive uh, list of episodes that you can like learn so much about. They they do a really good job of kind of showing the history. I think all of that is is wonderful. Those are the kind of ones that I've really latched onto uh there's certain ones like i love i okay i really like star wars but if you say that you are a fan of star wars it's kind of like you have to know everything and so i i always try and i always try and just be like listen i like star wars i can't say that i'm a fan because i like i don't know the name of the planets like i don't know all the characters names I, I don't know what that star system is called. Like, I I, I can't answer those <laughs> questions, but, like, the movies are cool, you know? Um, so oh, yeah, I, I always yeah. try and, like, temper exactly, like, which fandoms I'm necessarily a part of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, more so it's like, you know, I'll, I'll like, play a game uh, that I think is, like, really good and kind of get really into the lore of it while I'm playing it uh i'll kind of like add that to my uh my log of all the things that i like and move on to the next one i i tend to like add new things in so it's like uh i went through a really big dead space phase for a little while and then you know moved on that's when i hit bioshock and i was like wow moved on and you know it just hit other games uh, along the way
1: awesome awesome Yeah, uh, that's a lot of my stuff. Like with my girlfriend, she's more of the, I'm more of the sci-fi sort of Doctor Who, Star Trek sort of things. And Mm -hmm. she's more of the slasher horror film sort of side of fandom. So I'm like, I'm going to show you these sci-fi series. And and she's like, I'm going to show you these horror movies. Like I just showed her Babylon 5 from the 90s. And then she showed me uh, the Leprechaun films from the 90s. And you're just, I'm Maybe. like, I'm going to indoctrinate you on my geekdom and you're going to indoctrinate me on your geekdom. <laughs>
0: sure, sure. So you're a Doctor Who fan. What's your uh, yes. Who's your favorite Doctor?
1: Uh, it depends. Like, I love each different one has their own quirkiness, but I have to go with the cliche and say my favorite is the 10th Doctor with David Tennant. Absolutely. Which I got to meet him finally at uh, Dragon Con here in at Atlanta in 2019. Way Ooh. taller than I thought. <laughs> really? Oh, Interesting.
0: Yeah, he was really yeah, okay. sweet. He was really nice. Yeah, no, he he, he sounds like a, a wonderful person. Uh, yeah, the I I think the last Doctor that I saw before I kind of I didn't have cable anymore, so I kind of fell off the series was uh was Matt Smith. I watched, you know, up to him, and I was I was going through all of the original episodes, uh, the first eight Doctors, I was trying yeah. to like make my way through there. But it's it's kind of hard to get a hold of a lot of the old episodes.
1: Oh, yeah. It's uh, one thing that I found. It's uh, to watch the new series. I think they have Eccleston all the way up to thirteenth last season. It's called lookmovie.ag. My sister told me about it. She, and she's like, yeah, I have this thing that I just found. And I'm like, okay, I'll just block the ads so I don't get all these click here singles type of ads. And I'm sure. like, I'll block those. I was like, if I can get past those, it'd be fine. It's just one of those you got to turn those off and then you're good to go and it's all free movies how i watched the uh, the movie uh jojo rabbit which that's a great film if yes have you, you now uh have you got to work with taika or know him through anybody um no no i
0: i have not gotten to uh work or meet him i i i, I... At some point, I would, I would absolutely love to, but I, I don't, I don't have any like direct connections that I know to Taika. Uh, he it sounds like a really insane guy to work with, though. Like, <laughs> just really fun and energetic, and very, um, again, very clever. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of uh, okay. I worked on uh, a film many years ago called Life During Wartime. And our director, his name is Todd Salons. He makes uh, independent films, uh, dark comedy, very, very dark comedy. Uh, he is so eccentric and very smart. And it is insane getting to – it was insane getting to work with him, just kind of like see his perspective. And I, that's something that I want to kind of like pull from every single director that I work with, just see like like what what is going through their head. Tyka seems like a, a guy that just like – I don't know, has, like, a million things going through his head just based off of the concepts of, uh, uh, like, uh, what, Thor Thor Ragnarok he directed, right? Yes. Yeah, like, uh, Jojo Rabbit just had so so much going on, so many concepts, and he obviously was playing one of the main characters in the (laughs) film. Uh, That's, yeah, something. I want want to, like, kind of explore and kind of visit... uh, Visit. I would love to visit sets and just kind of see directors. I know that's like not, it's not an easy thing to do. I can't just like walk on the set, but it's something that I yeah. <laughs> would like to kind of explore and kind of reach out to people and about in the future.
1: Yeah, he seems in his personality is that very, like if you like dark humor, he's very, he has that funniness to him. Like, I don't know if you know, he heard a quote that he did for Jojo Rabbit because they Foxlight. Or the i think it's called fox uh the light the searchlight that he did the movie through and they are like we're only gonna do it if you play adolf hitler and somebody asked him in an interview how did you prepare to be hitler and his response was oh i just had to be a fucking cunt because that's what hitler was and i was just like oh my god taika that is such a great response <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. He he seems like a crazy guy. I uh he seems really fun. Uh I don't know. I, I would I would love to work. I have a friend who's like really really into into his works and that's that's where I heard about him from. This was before uh before Jojo Rabbit came out. He he was talking about him a lot and that's where I had like come, first come across his work.
1: Oh uh, yeah. What we do in the Shadows is amazing. Like I always tell people like if you the series is a lot funnier than the movie. Like, the movie is very dry, dry dark humor. Like, if you're really into that, you'll love the movie, but if you like the more kind of, the real kind of dicky, kind of more dirty jokes, you'll like the series, but especially with uh, Matt Berry, uh, he's loved that guy.
0: Um, Matt <sighs> Berry. Well,
1: uh, I, he was I'm, in the I'm IT crowd. Tr- did you ever watch the it crowd yes 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 was he uh he's the boss uh, like god damn these electric pants
0: okay yes the the one
1: that was the son that became the
0: boss yeah he's he's not the but the the younger Denholm.
1: yeah he plays a uh a vampire in this series and oh god he makes me laugh like there was one scene he was like the one that has a ghost or something on the front lawn, and he's just like, I don't see a ghost, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he runs back in, and he's like, There's a fucking ghost on the front lawn. And the way he just delivers the line and his body language was hilarious. That's, it's, I guess it's fantastic. Say, he's just one of those character actors that is just, he's gonna, the way he, especially, I guess it's just the way he uses swear words and the way he pronunciates on swear words, just makes it even funnier than it already was.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. What we do in the shadows has been recommended to Allison and I a lot. It is on our list. We have we have this kind of thing. So we have a humongous list of shows and films that we would like to watch at some point. We're slowly working our way through them. Um, it's tough, though, because I, I know specifically Allison has this where she has this kind of anxiety surrounding the fact that she will never be able to watch every single film and 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 it's kind of it, there's just too much content being made to be able to see it all especially to be able to catch up on all of the old uh older projects old films uh, classics uh, older in the 2000s like we're never going yes. to be able to see all of them uh so yeah it's like i, I don't know we have we have this master list that is consistently growing every single time we talk about uh, a show or a film somebody always recommends some new one and we're like oh no like how are we ever going to make it through it's gonna we're gonna be like 50 by the time we get through what's on this <laughs> list currently
1: yeah, that's uh, one thing that this. I love and hate about this of with the time that we are of our generation is just there's so much of it's not even like everybody is around the the water cool like oh did you see this you see this back in the day it was like everybody watched everything now it's like Wait, I'm watching this for you're watching this, and there's just it's a, just a joke of I'll put that in my queue. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Yeah, no, there's uh, again, so much content that's being made. Um, and something that like I, I think is a good thing, but it's also it is frustrating is the amount of streaming services out there. Oh, Why yes. do we need more? I And I understand, like, every company wants their shot. They all have their own content that they want to put out. But it's like the entire point was to get away from cable. And I think that it's, Netflix no, and Hulu and again. Amazon... Yeah, Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon were doing the, their thing, but now every single one of them has their own brand of content. There's also uh, you know, all the new ones that are coming out all the time. There's Shudder that's specifically for horror films. There's uh, Peacock, which is free but has a million ads. Uh, Apple TV has their own now. It's like...
1: <sighs> yeah, so it, you it, used to be like, I'm never going to pay that much for a cable bill. And you're like add up this this and this it's pretty much the same price
0: <laughs> doing doing it now yep that's that's what's happening unfortunately uh but yeah no it's like there there's so many uh, there's so many great projects that are being created and it's wonderful that we have this kind of um i would say it's a little bit of an entertainment revolution almost where we, the what the amount of content that we have uh, coming out is so great but the quality is also it it ramps up like there there are definitely like you can tell that there are films and and TV shows that are being produced with a with a very high budget uh and there's also kind of like this newish middle ground that's coming back right now of horror films that are kind of low budget but they fall under this like weird elevated horror category. It's like the Jordan Peele films, um, Get Out, uh, Us. There's uh, the Ari Aster films, Midsummer and Hereditary, that kind of fall into this like interesting category where they're not like humongous budget films, but they're not made under a hundred thousand dollars either. They're they're right in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's allowing them to shine through. It's something that I that I'm kind of enjoying about what we what we have going on in the industry there's a really big divide between who gets the budget and uh, who gets the distribution.
1: And that's, that's another, yeah, that's another thing with the comedy aspect. Like a lot of people are like, wait, Jordan Peele horror movies, like the comedy guy, Jordan Peele. But a lot of people don't realize like comedy guys are like you said, most of the, some of the most dramatic, like I know like Jim Carrey and Robin Williams, some of their best work were like, they've done really amazing dramatic roles. They have. Yeah. And, and,
0: you know, it's something that I've heard a long time where it's like comedians, the funniest people are the saddest. Um, And I understand the root of the idea, Uh, at least it's kind of the idea of, I guess, more of like a tortured artist or like understanding comedy from the from the pain that you have felt in your life kind of thing. Oh, yeah. think that a lot of uh, you know a lot of what we see from that comes from like a previous generation of comedians but I, I think that it, it still holds up to a certain extent uh, but yeah no it, it, it's interesting you bring that up though because I, I have definitely um, thought about that before and I kind of I guess been aware of that um, and and it, I, I Kind of going back here, thinking about Jason Earls, him being the funniest whenever he was angry or upset. It 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 it, it tracks.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they also say too, like people forget that, like all comedy in general, whether it's the basic example is a clown, a clown falling down at the circus. No matter what type of comedy, it all roots from you're getting a laugh from someone else's misfortune.
0: Sure, sure. No, I, I absolutely. I think that um I don't know where I'm gonna take the sentence, so I'm gonna back down from this sentence. Uh, oh,
1: no, no, like it, like it, I said, we we do talk fandom stuff, but like I've had a on another interview, like I had someone who was a who was a trans uh, female to male, and we were talking about mental health and stuff. So mental health, we we're welcome and everything here. So like I said. Open floor.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, absolutely. Yeah. No, I. i, I just like. Um, yeah. No. You're. You're absolutely right. Like. We kind of have this like fundamental. Like ultimately, we are laughing. There, there's the whole thing of like laughing at someone and laughing with someone, and I think yes. that comedy, like really, really fantastic comedians, kind of have this weird area where the line isn't really drawn. I guess they they kind of they they know what they're doing is funny and they are they know how the how they can perform something to uh I guess make it uh make it funny and make it like uh I need to structure my thought. Oh my god, hold on. Whew, here we go. <laughs> uh c- comedians have this like uh, really traditional comedians have this interesting line that they no, is normally there that they they kind of blur a bit between the laughing at themselves uh, laughing people laughing at them and people laughing with them and i i think it, it's really fascinating when you can see some of those like older comedians like robin williams and you know watching jim carrey and i don't know if you've seen the jim carrey little like short documentary that he did on youtube uh but it's it's a really interesting look inside of his life and it is it's, it's Bizarre, because he's he's kind of been through the ringer over the past fifteen years.
1: I haven't. I have to look that up.
0: Yeah, I know that like uh, there was a relationship thing that was uh, that had happened, which um, was kind of a, a a big deal to him. Uh, where I, I believe his significant other passed away in a very difficult way and uh it's it just like the amount of like pain and hurt that he is going through has kind of really shaped him and he became very spiritual and got very into art uh and he's b- i guess been slowly making his way back into the limelight after taking many years off uh but yeah it's just it, you can tell that it, it, everything has just changed him a lot
1: yeah and that's another one that he like i said with the 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 acting stuff like i've saw his dramatic stuff like if you ever seen his movie number 23 like mm-hmm. way different than you know the mask or you know just way different but he did it so well you're like wow i never knew that this guy could be this portray me in another way besides making me laugh like
0: G- uh, jim carrey did eternal sunshine right i think so I, th- I, I think know he's got his him. new
1: show that is, I think it's about mental health or something, that new show that he's got, I can't remember it the name of it, but his the bl- cover of... it's a...
0: It's Kidding, I, I think, is the name of the show.
1: Yeah, uh, that, that sounds right.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's like where he plays that kind of, like, Mr. Rogers-esque character. Uh, yes. It's, it's, like, on HBO or Showtime or something. Uh, yeah, no, I, I've seen... Uh, I think like two or three episodes of it. And it's really, really interesting. It's very dark, deep. It's still comedic, but it has some like really uh, dark elements to it. And I think that he plays it really, really well. Again, he's kind of, you can tell that he's kind of pulling from his past experiences uh, with what he's dealing with. His character, yes. I mean, without giving anything away, is going through a tremendous loss. Uh, and it, it just, it shapes the entirety of the show
1: awesome yeah i figured i didn't know if it was sort of something like sort of like a, a darker truman show sort of thing
0: i feel like um I, so it is it is it is definitely kind of i don't want to say parodying but uh i guess paying uh homage to uh the, the series mr rogers is uh, mr rogers oh okay and so it, it's it's like a uh, almost like a behind-the-scenes look at what would what would go on with the show, where Mister Rogers was always trying to, uh, you know, make sure the show was bordering on like, you know, not necessarily talking children like their children, but making sure that they knew uh, of adult concepts. I, I there there was uh, uh, one specific episode of Mister Rogers where he's talking with this uh, these children about the concept of death and loss uh, because of something major that had happened in the world uh and and this show definitely takes takes a couple pages from that that time yeah i know
1: he had a lot of stuff like i saw a picture recently like it was the episode then like i think he had like a a mailman of color and it was like wow this is this episode was like in the midst of the you know the that that time when all that junk was going on and it's like wow like he's showing like hey we should all love each other like I'm friends with this mailman and he's, you know, showing like, Hey, it's okay. Like love everyone. That's what you need to do. And I'm just like, see, Mr. Rogers. This is why I guess our generation who grew up, I I don't know if we went on reruns or something like that is why I think a lot of things are changing because our, our generation who grew up on things like that. And were taught these things from the generation that were like, let's not do that again. We have the mindset of like, okay. We know what you did. Let's do something different to change it to make better. Sure. Uh,
0: you know, and Al- Allison and I, I, I guess kind of tangenting a little bit, but, you know, just talking about content in general, Allison and I were talking about this. Uh, there is a competition going on right now for uh uh, old lego styles lego is holding this like this it's not a contest it's a it's a big poll and people are voting which uh, original theme that they want to reprise or reprise i guess w- which one they want to bring back and yeah. <laughs> uh and so uh, you know i i browse reddit here and there and all of them are talking about bringing back bionicle uh and i was looking through and i saw all of like the old themes that they were bringing back and i was just so fascinated that You know, back in the day, they weren't branded themes. It wasn't like it was like, oh, this is our Star Wars collection, and this is our Indiana Jones collection, and this is Harry Potter. It was like they were all just like Dragon's Lair. It's their own creation. It's a dragon. It's a castle. Or like uh, they had like this underwater like submarine fortress uh style that that's you know currently on their list and it's really cool looking and it it doesn't belong anywhere it's not from anything i think it's crazy how in the last you know 60 70 years we have just changed so much to where every like if you go and you look through all the legos right now they're all branded all of them are from a television series or a series of films they're all marvel cinematic universe um and it's it's kind of interesting that we don't have just kind of like generic themes anymore um oh yeah in entirety and that you know that goes as from t- television series to films to games to toys like everything is a brand now uh it, it's it's kind of weird to just know i guess from our perspective that you know we're kind of growing up and kind of seeing this change happen um uh, and uh, you know, Allison and I—we're on the tail end of it. Like, we pretty much everything we've known has been some form of branding. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we, as we're kind of, I guess, coming into ourselves as creators, we're kind of looking at that and saying, I don't know. I kind of want to like, I, I, I kind of want to work my way away from branding. I, I, I don't, I don't want to oh, yeah. necessarily propagate a just like. I mean, I don't want to be, like, anti-corporate. Like, I, I, I don't want to propagate, like, <laughs> anybody's message. I want to just, like, make my own stuff that is just, like, I don't know, people can oh, yeah. enjoy. Whether it's just, like, kind of, I don't know, casual children's content or horror films that just don't have anything to do with anything at all. I, I just, we want to make our own stuff that is different and unique and not...
1: Oh, yeah. It's like the saying you hear all the time that are like, oh, Hollywood doesn't know how to make anything original. Well, it's like, it's not that it's not that I don't know how to make an original. There's a lot of artists making original things. It's the high rock old money. That's like, hmm, I have this filmmaker that made this awesome original film, but um, I don't know if you're going to make money, but I know Star Wars are this big thing that's made money for generations. I'm going to throw money at them because I know that's a guaranteed paycheck.
0: Sure. Exactly. Yeah. So no, let's make I, I don't another
1: fifteen just... different reboots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly. I. I just. Uh, I found that just kind of fascinating. It, it's this like you know epiphany that we had recently uh, from Legos, and yeah, I don't know. I. I, I think that th- that thought has been kind of looming around my head for the past several days, and now I'm. Uh, I'm just trying to think of ways that we can. Break out break out of that. I I, I don't know. I I don't think that there's going to be anything doing it as far as that goes. But we're, you know, we're very much trying to be our independent artists and we're trying to, you know, make our own make our own stuff.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, how do you you interpret that as a indie filmmaker yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean. It's tough because especially. Working on trying to get a film made and sold there is a certain amount that we want to cater to the idea of selling a film. We want to make sure that it is distributable, that it is, uh, it has all the ingredients to make a film that can be sold, but we're also trying to hold on to this like core idea. The, um, I, I I can't really talk about the film right now, but I will say that um, it, it's kind of a, a, a unique concept and we're trying to hold on to this one specific metaphor and not mess up the metaphor. And, uh, and initially I I think that that was a, a little bit tricky. To kind of figure that out and pave our pave our way in keeping in mind, like uh, okay, well, you know, all new films have to have uh, have to have this element, and if it's a horror film, you have to have a jump scare by this page. It's like, uh, but we're not trying to make that. Like I, something just rings back to if you've seen The Shining. The Shining is a very long horror film where it is a yes. slow build. It is a very slow build. And some people, it, it's too slow for them now. Because um, a lot happens, but later on in the film. And you kind of have to go through that journey so you understand exactly what is going on later later on in the film. You can't just skip to it and be excited.
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> it,
0: it's a very different style of filmmaking from what we have now. And it, it, it's, it's weird to, I guess, ride that line a little bit of... Um, have you heard of Save the Cat?
1: I have not.
0: Okay, Save the Cat is a book uh, that is written about uh, screenwriting. And it, I, it, you know, it, was, it was originally just supposed to be kind of like a, a representation of the hero's journey. And explaining how like you know by certain parts of a film for it to kind of have a really good flow, there's a formula that you can follow where you can have certain characters come in, this character has turmoil, end of act two uh this character has to overcome the the big opposition and then the end of the film so it's it's like a it's a track that every script should follow for. Uh, Making sure that the tone is consistent and, you know, ever moving and people are being taken on a journey. But Save the Cat became really popular and it is now built into script writing softwares to where it's like a little notification will pop up being like, hey, by the way, I don't know if you've uh, introduced the character's main opposition, but you should do that now. It's like that kind of takes away from the freedom that you have writing a script but there's something to it because it's also a formula that works so there's this really interesting line that we're trying to figure out and learn how to navigate where we're making original content that is partly formulaic but it is our own and it it's tough to figure out where to where to put yourself in that in that situation just because i i don't want to ever like have this moment where it's like i'm selling out and just doing this and we're going to make a horror film with jump scares and we're going to cg the entire thing it's like no 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 i, I want to make sure that we're holding on to our core beliefs our core concepts and uh but we still want to make it marketable <laughs> so yes <history. laughs>
1: now with that when it comes to like cg and practical effects how are you with that because there's a little story with that, that i'll tell you after i watch how you feel about that
0: Okay, um, so I, I think that CG is a good tool. I don't ever want to rely on it. Um, CG, in my opinion, should be used to enhance a project. Uh, one of my favorite directors in the world, David Fincher, he uses CG in almost every single shot. But there is a reason for it. He puts CG in almost every single shot so that when cg is used in uh, for the purpose of uh, you know pushing the story forward it doesn't look out of place everything still looks cohesive because he's like yes. ah i just wanted to like change the background get rid of this tree change this building a different color it's like certain things that he's doing with the cg make it have that kind of i don't know almost uh, matrixy kind of feel and it works so there's uh, there's a certain amount of it that I that I do respect and even even what we were thinking is we want st- to uh, stay as practical as we possibly can with our films we want to do as much practically as possible but there are certain things that we have already kind of talked about and agreed on that like we are going to inevitably use CG and it's just the way we go about it we want to kind of be careful with and we want to make sure that it is uh it's it we're not relying on it too much so it's like if we have uh for example if we have like a crazy rainstorm that we're trying to do and what we would do is we would probably uh have a situation where we you know shatter a window and have like a rain machine pouring some pouring some rain into the side well as long as we get that then we can use cg to kind of spruce it up a little bit add more rain add more glass for a window shattering and then you know, add sound effects to kind of tie it all in together. And it, it, it's like stuff yes. is, we're trying to think ahead so that we're not uh, we're not going too far in it and gonna make like a Shark Boy and Lava Girl three D type of situation, <laughs> you know.
1: Yes, yeah. With that story is Rick Baker, uh, if you know who that is. Uh, he did. Uh, he's the special effects makeup artist that did uh, Ron Howard's. Uh, the Grinch, uh, his big claim to fame that everybody knows is American Werewolf in London. Okay. Uh, he was the main guy who did the transition and the special effects on that. And his story is is they used nothing but practical effects for American Werewolf in London. And the effects they used were stuff that they had to invent because they were never done before. Like how to actually show him transitioning into the wolf in sequence. And they went to do a sequel and the guy asked him, hey, what are your thoughts? Should we go CG or practical effects? And he was like, the same what you said. He was like, I think majority should be practical, but if you can use a little CG to fix or make some of the things better that we couldn't do, do in the original film with practical, then yes. And then he said they went and did everything monster, everything CG. And he's like, and it shows American Werewolves in France failed or in paris i think paris failed he's like because it was all cg the monster the werewolf was gross because it was nothing scary he's like the original one scared the shit out of people because it was you could imagine it is a real thing and this one you could tell oh that's fake that doesn't scare me so he was like i told them that and i gave them my advice of 40 years in the business and they didn't listen <laughs> I think, yeah, I think
0: the, you know, the tricky part is that CG is not cheap. Practical effects is not cheap. Both of them are very expensive options. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, it's like, what I feel is the best option is a combination of both. <laughs> yes. So it's like, ugh, it's... it's it adds, it adds on. It, it makes it, it makes it more difficult to make, especially, oh, that's something else that, uh, that Allison and I have been talking about recently, which we'll, I'll, I'll tie in. Uh, we were recently talking about Quentin Tarantino and how he, uh, how he started, right? And we, we were, uh, thinking about Reservoir Dogs in specific. Now, Reservoir Dogs, I, I think that the budget was around 10 million. It might be might be slightly lower or higher. Within margin of error, it was around $10 million, Uh, which is a decent budget. That is, uh, that is a, a very decent budget. Films have definitely um, been made for cheaper. But, uh, you know, it's kind of surrounding this big heist, but they never show it. They only talk about it. And that was Tarantino's way of kind of getting around having to show a very expensive heist with such a low-budget film, uh, was to show what happened before show what happened after they talk extensively about it but that's it and uh and it, it, it i mean it's a great film did really well so kind of you know using that idea um obviously tarantino has uh ridiculous budgets now where he can just kind of say i want to make a film and people are like here 50, 50 <laughs> yeah. 150 million i don't know just take the money carte blanche the films used to be made that way films used to have uh, seemingly infinite budget. Like, they could just do whatever they needed to do. Apocalypse Now, they, 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 you know, had whatever their budget was, and then they extended filming by a year. A full year of extension. Like, that is a very expensive process, and studios nowadays would never go for it. Uh, we just live in such a, a different world. I'm thinking uh, r- mainly about the Snowman uh, film made in 2017, based off of a, a Joe Nesbo novel. Uh, it like 10 to 15 percent of the film never even got shot because of some difficulties that happened it, it was uh, it, supposedly the story that i heard was it was originally going to be directed by one person i think it was martin scorsese and uh and then he kind of like stepped down and they called up another director who had like a day to go over materials and get ready and he flew into i think they were filming in either norway or sweden and once they got there, they were trying to catch up on everything, but the schedule was all off and their visas ran out and they went back to Los Angeles, looked at all the footage and realized they didn't have most of it. So, they did what they needed to do to, uh, to make the film happen, but ultimately they weren't able to squeeze any more money out of the studio to go back for reshoots. Yeah. And it shows. It's the story hardly makes sense. It is a unfortunately kind of a difficult film to watch because it is so beautiful and has a lot of potential. Especially, it's kind of a cool storyline. But, yeah, no, it's something that, like, I'm thinking nowadays about, like, yeah, you know, if you have a limited budget and you're trying to decide CG or practical effects, it's, like, the practical effects will benefit from having CG on top of them, so we'll just go all CG. And I feel like that decision is made so much, and it's, like, just reallocate your budget. Like, really put the time and effort, especially if you're making some film that has a monster in it. Like, if you're making a monster film, put your money in the monster. That is, like... That is the biggest thing you can do, because you want the you want your monster to be scary. You want your monster to be believable. The best thing you can do is have somebody like leave the theater and be like, that terrified me. Like, oh, I, don't want, me I don't want I don't want to see. Yeah, exactly. Like that is that is your goal in making a horror film, more or less. So it's like, I feel like with with me, it's like I would rather uh cut other things from the film like change things around to make sure that we can we can allocate the right amount of budget for a creature that looks convincing and feels convincing uh whatever we need to do so it's like you know it it, it, yeah we're looking at we're looking at practical effects we are also looking at cg like we want to make it work you know
1: yes now when you said you did the effects for some of this stuff and when you started out making your films did you get into actually doing like special effects makeup or did you have someone on set that did that?
0: Uh, We, there are, we have a lot of friends who are way more talented special effects artists than I am. Uh, And so we just have them do it. Uh, The the special effects that I'm, uh, that I was getting into that I'm talking about is uh, more so like individual gags. Like we have in some of our short films, we have people cutting themselves uh, or cutting others with, different tools Um, so uh, the very first time that we did it we had a little pocket knife that uh, a girl was like carving her stomach with and uh, I I, like I rigged up a a, a tube with uh, some a a tube with like a syringe pretty much Uh, so that way it's like I could kind of spit blood out at a certain rate Uh, and different little things like that or um, Like certain, talking about the mirror shattering, it's like rigging it up so that way we could like shoot it in such a way that I would be off camera, but we were holding the, we were holding the mirror and setting objects behind it, like ceramic behind it, so that the mirror could break against something and shatter in a very specific location. Uh, Yeah. Stuff like that to where it's like we need, we need one specific thing to happen. Ultimately, if I wanted to go down that path, I should definitely get a pyrotechnics license. Because that makes everything so much easier. Uh, you know, if you're doing, like, gunshots, for instance, you can get the little pyrotechnic, like, explosive balls that you can set up everywhere that do a little pop. Or you can have like, explosive uh, squibs, which are, like, gunshot wounds. So they spit out blood whenever you um, whenever you trigger them. Uh, and, uh, it's, like, those would be very helpful in the future. But honestly, I'll probably just hire somebody who has <laughs> pyrotechnics. They will do it better than I can. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's kind of, uh, when I was shadowing the, uh, the special effects guy on Kickin' It, that's stuff that I was always fascinated with. It's like, he has a very specific job to, to make happen. Um, in one episode of Kickin' It from season two, we had this gigantic swan that is supposed to spit gravy, uh, Disney, I, I I don't know what to tell you, it's just... (laughs) Part of a storyline. So uh, yeah, we had this gigantic swan that was supposed to spit gravy out. And so he had to build a remote control swan and have a tank in there that could be pressurized and uh, spit out a consistent rate, a solid stream of gravy that he can control. With a remote control. So I, I sat there with him kind of uh, while he was building it, and we were actively talking about it and just kind of going over all of the ways that he could possibly make this. And that's why that's why it's like that department is so fascinating to me, just because it's all problem solving. It's all trying to figure out how do we make this happen? How do we make it look good? Uh and especially, how do we make it look good on camera? Because those are those are two different things. A lot a lot of times, things might look good in person, but they look like trash on camera. It's like you want to make it look convincing from every possible angle. Yes, uh, and that's that's something that I, I that I've always in, enjoyed, and I wanted to like delve more into. Um, but yeah, I think also a, a big part of that is uh, in one of our shorts, a girl is also cutting her herself. She's uh, slitting her wrists um and so we needed to break the mirror get get some shards of mirror and then we needed to make it safe for her to actually hold and uh, maneuver around her skin without being without cutting herself uh so it's like you know grinding down edges and hot gluing the edges to make sure that it has no sharp edges and then like repeatedly running it over my own skin to make sure that like if it cuts me that i can fix this before we give it to our actress uh, yeah, you're
1: like, You'd rather hurt me than hurt her <laughs>
0: exactly yeah it's just exactly so that that's kind of more more along the lines of what i was doing when i was uh kind of doing special effects duties
1: yeah definitely like like same of those stories when i talked to roy Wooly, he was uh, the special effects makeup artist i got he's great guy he's worked on i think guardians of the galaxy and a couple other stuff um he's big claim to fame he was on the sci-fi series face off okay yeah uh you might have recognized if you watched the show he was the the older guy with the cowboy hat oh yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah he's uh based here in atlanta he does a netherworlds a big super big haunted house here in atlanta and hearing his stories of working with, like, the guys like Dick Smith and Rick Baker and those guys who worked in, like, the industry in the early years and what they had to use, like, for Frankenstein in the 30s. He was like, yeah, talking to Dick Smith, who trained me. He was, like, learning how they used just wax and cotton balls to make Frankenstein in the 1930 movie was just an amazing story. Like, that's, that's, like I said, if you listen to the podcast, like, that episode with him was awesome, if you like special I- effects stories.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. It's something that we, um, Allison and I, tend to think about a lot and kind of model a lot of things off of is uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes, and yes. The special effects, they use bubblegum to kind of get that, like, mushy, organic matter type of feel for their uh, their pieces, uh, it, which is, yeah, it's it's very clever, very cool. Uh, what was the other? Oh, I was thinking of one more project that had just kind of like a weird weird workaround uh if if i think about it i'll, I'll let you know but um i did a uh, I did a, a film a couple years back and it has not come out yet it is possibly going to be coming out this year uh and it's called crabs and it's kind of a little bit of like a campy horror film uh where giant mutant uh horseshoe crabs take over the world and they did all of the effects uh on set practically and yeah I, I don't know if if that's going to uh still be the case in the newest cut of it or not but the uh they had a team here based in los angeles build all these costumes and they had specific handlers who were uh who the costumes were built around that could operate them properly uh because it was it's very unnatural for human movement and uh and specifically like the costume they built had the legs that kind of bend backwards like a horse's almost and this guy was so good at uh, operating these costumes to be able to make them just look so non-human so animal or uh, in this case it was very crab-like uh just phenomenal to watch and kind of see how they how they were making this all happen Um it's just really really cool stuff
1: Oh, yeah. Like, if you're a fan of Labyrinth, like, when you go back and look at all, like, the, the puppeteers that Jim Henson did for that that film, like, the big, giant, tall things that I didn't realize, the thing they're riding the, on the backs of, of it, it's a guy on stilts on all fours and just maneuvering his arms, moving along, you're like, wait, that wasn't a puppet? That was a guy on <laughs> all fours on stilts and it looks like a horse. Or the big bug creatures that... It's, three actors stacked into each other so when they would walk it was the six legs and then when they'd stand up it was each of them sitting on each other's shoulders <laughs> to make this seven foot tall giant uh not centipede but like roly-poly creature sure yeah it's been a so long when you time you see since those actors like but... that like you said they make them look so non-human you're like how do you even make your body or know how to move like that absolutely Awesome. Just checking the time. Don't want to keep you too long.
0: <laughs> it's all good. It's all good.
1: Now, are there any other projects that you want to talk about or promote or your socials or anything?
0: I mean, yeah the 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 big thing that I would probably uh, put forward is that uh, yeah, Allison and I we do a weekly web series. We have uh, it, it's called Astrid Clover. We put it out on YouTube. A new episode is out every single Friday. Um, we just finished a uh, like a three part uh, crime documentary parody, which is, uh, is very fun. We, we've had to do, uh, kind of more, um, uh, locked down episodes during the lockdown. So we're finally starting to be able to kind of, we have a, a little group of our actor friends who have all like quarantined together and we're all safe and we know where everybody's been. So we have been slowly starting to kind of open up a little bit more. Um, and be able to do more episodes. And so Astrid Clover on YouTube. It's a uh, it's a it's a fun little show uh, that parodies uh, vloggers, YouTube vloggers. Uh, we <laughs> both Allison and I stream on Twitch. So my Twitch is twitch.tv/snyderfly because I was cool when I was 12 years old and loved that name and just stuck with it um and then i'm dylan r snyder on everything else holy christmas nuts hey there i'm dylan snyder and you are listening to the fandom squad podcast
1: all right everyone that's going to be another episode of the fandom squad podcast
0: dylan would you like to say our outro hey everybody it's uh it's been dylan snyder here and enjoy the madness
1: you are now leaving the fandom squad podcast i
0: don't want to go